Hey guys, I'm Patty. After a weird dark night of the soul experience, a sort of scary existential crisis that I went through, and I'm sure many more to come, I was inspired by books and podcasts to help other people. Podcasts had really helped me make sense of what I was going through at the time, so I thought I'd attempt to do the same for others. In this podcast, I explore conversations that blur lines between mind, body, and spirituality to start the healing process. We'll discuss all things like psychology, meaning, trauma, meditation, self-care, relationships, health, and simply just existing. I hope to help you find meaning here on this wacky, mysterious planet we all are on. I know at one point I needed it too. If you need to reach me, my Instagram is M-Z-X-P-A-T-R-I-S-H-A. See you then. Weighing out in your mind, one, maybe what you want to do the very most, what excites you the most, and two, what kind of can get the ball rolling and give you a sense of success to create more successes. So it's like if you get all the little tiny chores done first, you're less overwhelmed because there's only one thing left on the to-do list. Welcome to the Healing House. We will be starting the healing process shortly. Before you enter, please leave your mind temporarily at the door and enter with your soul. We are now entering a space of total consciousness. Here's your host and guide, Patty Spack. Hello, everyone. As you can tell, I lost my voice. We. I also was going to use that as an excuse to not record or post this podcast, but I am on one right now and I'm not letting anything stop me. So I'm sorry you have to hear my voice. Maybe it adds a little spice to your listening. Today, we are exploring a conversation with Sunny Joe Lawrence, who is the wife of James Lawrence, who is considered the Iron Cowboy. He has ran 101 consecutive Ironmans. And Sonny, his wife, was this beautiful glue and support system behind the scenes. So this conversation coming up is a beautiful exploration of what that was like and some things that she gathered while through this painful transformative process. You can check out their documentary. I believe it's on Amazon. I will try to put the link at the bottom. Uh, There is a documentary of him doing 50 Ironmans, and then he does eventually go on to 100 consecutive Ironmans where his body was shaking, and there was times where they didn't know that if they were going to make it. And uh, it creates a lot of mental toughness. And I think that it's important to recognize that, yeah, they intentionally put themselves through something that was very intense, but even or whether or not you put yourself through something intense intentionally or you go through something intense unintentionally, 
it still is important to recognize that people do make it through this process greater on the other side, learning some sort of new skill or changing in some way. And that uh, is very important and helpful when we are going through something. So I hope this conversation helps you. I will put all be- all the links below. And thanks for listening. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> I get my dog situated. He comes in here and then he barks everything. And then I put him in my closet. My closet's on the other side of this wall. So that doesn't help. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I need a new plan. <laughs> I just had the same issue. I have a cat and she, um, I had to lock her out basically. So she probably will scratch at the door. But and like, that's the thing is I'm like, <laughs> if I just shut the door, then he sits and scratches the door. So I didn't want to be involved. Yeah, I put him on a leash in the front room and I was like, here, Lucy, hold this leash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're like kids. Totally. Like, totally. Um, all right. Well, hi. Thank hi. You. Thank you for being on my podcast. Of course. <laughs> my name is Patty. Um, my podcast is called The Healing House Podcast. And the purpose is sort of to dive into people's stories. Um, and really get into like the whys and the purpose and like what pulled you through a lot of the uh, dark times to get you to where you are now and the lessons awesome. that you've learned for other people that are sort of going through it or a little bit stuck. Um, yeah. So before diving into all that stuff, um, I introduced you before getting on the conversation. But just to recap, you, Sunny, are the wife of James Lawrence and he is considered the Iron Cowboy. He, at first, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this information, did 50 Ironmans in 50 states for 50 days and that's consecutively, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then went on to do 100 and then there was like a surprise 101, I believe. Nice. <laughs> and um, and so what's what I really love about the entire thing is that you are this glue behind the scenes holding this together. And so I really want to pick your brain on kind of like what pulled you through and and what helped you through like those doubts or those really scary times. Um, Before going into that, why don't we just start off by talking about what life was like before you both decided to do this, before you learned all your lessons, before you learned anything, what was life like for you both? So James, he's raised in Canada. And, um, our cultures were very different. I come from a very large rowdy family. He comes from a smaller proper family. Um, and when he moved to the States, you know, we get married and we kind of have to find that equilibrium between both of our, I guess, mojos in life. And we, um, started having kids just a couple years after we were married and, you know, maneuvering that is, is really tricky for everybody in relationships just because you're trying to blend two lives and create a new life. And so we worked really well together 
not that there wasn't really hard things to figure out, but we kind of grew up together. And so we were figuring things out together. You know, it wasn't, we weren't both established and then getting married. We were both trying to kind of pave our path through life and find our way. And so as we progressed through life, James was continually trying to find different types of experiences that he craved and loved and enjoyed, but also trying to pave his path and carve his path for his career. And that entailed a lot of things, including working at like a Michael's craft store. Mm -hmm. So it was his first um, management position. He was like, oh man, this is so much money. You know, it was like $35,000 a year or something. (laughs) And we felt like we were millionaires. (laughs) But really both of us were trying to figure out identities and James was really taste testing quite a lot of things. And that's when he fell into mortgage. And then with the recession, everything kicked, got kicked right out of mortgage and we had to pave our new path. But I think the most powerful part is leading up to this journey, we had experienced or rather sought out lots of different experiences that helped prepare us for this type of a journey. Mm-hmm. So by the time this came up, I felt like we'd already had a little bit of experience under our belt when it came to diversifying and doing new things and taking risks and, you know, things like that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt like our life was quite normal, but James really was trying to find his way through life. And I think that was less normal for his age Mm -hmm. because I think he was, I don't know, maybe I think he was 28 or something when he did his first full triathlon. So a lot of people through their 20s at least have their career established or they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they figured some things out where at that point, James still hadn't figured stuff out. Right. So that's what I think separated us from being normal, even though we were quite normal. Mm. It's, it's interesting though, because around the age of 28, I'm 29. So around this age is sort of like this um, inner drive that seems to come up. Like I don't, Really, a lot of people my age will be like, I don't really like what I'm doing. I don't know what I want to be doing, purpose. Uh, why am I here? What's the purpose of all this? So, do you think that that was starting to like come up for him as far as uh, per- his purpose for life? And, and how do you even formulate what purpose is for you or what that means for you? That's a really great question because I think the way you said it, is kind of how I see it, where I say, you know, I'm doing some things, you check off a lot of boxes and that's important for life. You know, like you should be saving money. You should get some type of an education. You should be making personal and professional connections. Those are kind of the boxes that check you off that kind of lead you to success. But once you've checked off those boxes and you get to like your late twenties and you say, you know, now what do I want to do with all these boxes? Mm -hmm. I thought maybe I wanted to do this, but now I'm realizing the world's a little bigger than I thought. And I've had some life experience. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's a little more out there than I thought, but that's not quite how James thinks. I think James thinks in a way that's like, what can I do that will be fun? Mm. That's what, that was his twenties. What can Mm. I do that would be fun? And it wasn't until you know, we had three kids that he was like, oh, I probably should make sure that I'm making decent money too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because it's like, oh, I, oh yeah, that part too. Because I mean, everybody wants to have money for freedom. Right. But I think that's when he hit that late twenties that he was like, you know, what I've been doing hasn't really been working. It's been fun, but I think it's time that I need to figure out what what is going to make me happy, but what is also going to fulfill me. Mm. And that I think balance. 
Yeah, less about purpose and more about balance. And I don't think mm. he found his purpose at, for 10 more years. Wow. So he was a little behind the game with, I guess, adult maturity, where he was thinking, okay, now where do I find this balance? Where I was like, depth, soul, you know, all that. But that did come 10 years later for him. Mm-hmm. So I think now, I mean, his he sees his purpose now as, you know, he always says, I'm really good at suffering. And, and it's true, but what that does is that empowers the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a person close to me that is quite condescending about professional sports. And in general, I'm not a big fan of professional sports either, but she categorizes what James does with that. And I'm like, it's not the same. What James does, he does to pull people out of their rut. His whole purpose in doing all of what he does is to empower other people to get them out of their rut and to find their path. It's not to be famous and make money. Right. You know? Right. So those are very different. So I think now he's found that his purpose is to really connect with society, be the one to brave enough to speak up and take the risk, but to empower other people to find their path. Yeah. Yeah. How important that is. And I think that's sort of why maybe we get these pulls to do something crazy or maybe that society doesn't, you know, consider normal. And when we step outside of those norms, then we learn this huge lesson for then you to share those lessons with other people. And can I say, I think too, that it's important to step out of the norms, not to make a statement, Mm. but to pave a better path. A lot of people like to go outside the norms to make a statement, right? They want Mm -hmm. attention. They want to be in the media. They want to cause drama. I mean, that's all reality TV is, right? You want to Mm -hmm. be the one that's known. So you do stupid crap to be the one that's remembered. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about paving a beautiful path that lasts forever, not just looking for attention and drama. Mm -hmm. And it has to be, it has to be, yeah, it can't be for somebody else. It has to be for yourself. Totally. Um, Because it ultimately has to match up with your values as well. Absolutely. Um, So you talked about suffering. And for me, I believe this, I believe similarly that, you know, suffering is sort of part of life and it seems like this, you know, catalyst for growth. And you can kind of see it in nature and everything around us. And so what is, what is your opinion on suffering? Do you think it's necessary to suffer in order to grow? I think there's something interesting about suffering is that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people weren't talking about suffering like it was this beautiful catalyst. Mm. I mean, back then it was, why me? How come? If only. Mm. Mask it. Don't talk about yeah. it. Exactly. Where now it's this not only socially acceptable, but it is this widely professed strength and catalyst into making the world a better place, but also making you better, your soul and fulfillment. And it's nothing crazier than when someone's like, I'm super depressed. And you're like, oh, really? What do you do for a living? Oh, well, I'm in between jobs. And you're like, okay, maybe they haven't found what they liked. And then they're like, oh, well, I get up at 11 o'clock in the morning and I never go outside and I just sit and think about how to press time. And I'm like, hold on a second. (laughs) Hmm. That's not the kind of suffering we're talking about, right? (laughs) Like they think they're suffering, but really 
they're not doing anything to make that a catalyst. Mm. And we ourselves have to create the catalyst uh, within our suffering. We have to say, okay, this is miserable. This is hard. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And I'm supposed to see it through, or am I headed in the wrong direction? Mm. And if you're headed in the wrong direction, you have to have the courage to course correct. If it is what you need to be doing, you had better buckle up and get going because the suffering doesn't end. Why wouldn't you make something of it? Then you come out on the other side and you go, man, that really defined my life and really created a crossroads for me that took me in a completely different trajectory. But had I never suffered, I would have never made those decisions, right? That took me where I wanted to be. But that's a choice, whether or not it's a catalyst. Right. Yeah. It seems like there, there, it does come this point when things aren't going the way, like if life's not going the way that you had hoped or planned. And it does seem like there is this point where you have to make a choice. And it is so hard for people if it is not what they want to be doing, considering myself as well, have gone through this so many times to then have to change. Yeah. the course as you were saying or you know what are other people going to think and you could say i don't care what other people think but it's so deeply ingrained in yeah. us to care especially if it's going to hurt somebody right you, like, let's say you're in a relationship and you're like i know this is not right and you are scared to death because you know it's going to hurt that other person right. that makes it 10 times harder right yeah. versus just changing careers right and it seems so it seems like easy in a way. And it's just, that's where you can see where you're sort of like attached to something that's not aligned with yourself. That's when you have to look inside yourself and say, why does it serve me to stay in this misalignment? Mm. Because it serves you for some reason or you wouldn't be doing it, but you know, you're misaligned. What are you getting out of that? That you think is good for you. So it serves you, but it's not your best interest, right? Why am I staying in this misalignment? Why is this serving me? Then you've got to fix that too, right? right. Get that crap out. Because if you're, if you're insecure and you're like, I can't be alone, well, it serves you to have a companion, even if they're a horrible companion. Mm-hmm. Or it serves you to stay in a job because you make a ton of money. And you're like, I know if I do what I love, I'm going to have less money. Well, it serves you because you have that money. But is it in your highest good? Now that's a different story. Right. And it's almost hard to tell the difference. I feel like we have so many thoughts and so many things going on. It's like, is, is this in alignment? So really knowing, like, what is your process for knowing? Wait, what something? is your process? You tell me first. <laughs> well, my, <laughs> how do you do it? So, um, if I, if I weren't sure about something for me, it's an inner it's an inner process where i have to feel feel it because i'm so analytical and i will think of everything that could possibly go right go wrong and for me it's important to what it feels like how i imagine it to be uh, more of like a heart space sort of feeling and i don't know i don't know if that's similar to everyone else but don't you, don't you think that should be for everybody else, do you think everybody should be saying, what is my heart telling me? Absolutely. And Absolutely. if you close your eyes and you say to yourself, 
I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to remove my thoughts. It's going to be the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm. You're going to trigger that subconscious to speak up, right? It's going to be the first thing. So when you both were going through these Ironmans, there's, I mean, you're putting yourself in a situation where there's so much that could go wrong. There's so much that you're risking. Um, And the mentality behind it all, the mind had to have come in very strong because it wants to protect itself. And, you know, there's times where I'm sure it seems like, you know, is, is James her? Is he gonna die? Like, is he gonna fall apart? Like, how do you actually take space from the strength of the mind when it is being so negative and like trying to come in and take you out of the path? Did he have sort of any process or, or did he just keep remembering? Let me ask you this question. <laughs> when in your life have you known something was right? Mm. And no matter what came your way, you saw it through. Like, do you have an experience like that? Yes. And what is it? Traveling. Okay, so what about it? Um, hmm. Actually, this is interesting and sort of similar, but on a totally lower scale. Um, I definitely had a dark period of my life. And what got me out of it was long distance running. And I trained myself for a half marathon. I went from never running in my life to running, I think, 12 miles. And during that running, my creativity and the flow of just what I wanted for my life came through while I was in those longer runs. And that's how this podcast was born. That's how I was able to move from one side of the country to now I'm in San Diego, California, which was a total dream of mine. And now the podcast is now expanding and I'm collabing with a company out here. And so, yeah, it all started with with me running and constantly seeing the same vision for myself. And it just... So on the mornings you didn't want to get up or the days you had doubt, what helped you see that through? Hmm. Yeah, remembering my why. So that's the secret is if you go into a project, if you go into a goal or a stage of life knowing it is the right thing, nothing can get in your way. Yeah. Because there's always a way. If it's the right thing, it's going to happen. Now, it's not going to happen without a fight. Otherwise, there'd be no value. If it was easy, I mean, oh yeah, hey, I just woke up, there's a million dollars in my account and... I don't know. I watch sleep till 11, step all night, watch a movie. It's like, that's not beauty. Beauty is the fight. And when you know it's the right thing, you know, there will always be a way. So when those hardships came up and when nothing made sense, I would say to myself, I know there's a way. I know this is supposed to happen. I know it's going to be executed. I have to be the one to do the work. So I need to come up with a solution. And drawing on that higher power, you know, I'm a Christian. So I turn to God and say, okay, I know this is where we're supposed to be. So help me find this way. And we figured it out Mm. with a lot of pain and a lot of effort, but that's where the glory lies. Yeah. That's interesting that you brought up 
um, that you turn to God because I was just going to say a quote that I heard recently and it was, I love suffering because it brings me closer to God. Oh yeah. And when you turn to him. Yeah. And there, and, and I grew up Catholic. Um, but so, but then I sort of went away from the religion and it was in those moments where I was in despair and I had nothing left that I found myself on my knees. Like, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. And yep. we're, I'm, we're floating on a space rock in the middle of nowhere anyways. So yeah. this is all wild. Totally. Anyways. So yeah. something has to also like know for me or speak or do. So if God's telling you to do it, mm. he's obviously going to provide a way. Right. right? Yeah. And if you're stuck, I mean, like you can say, Hey, I need help. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means I need comfort. If I need direction, if I need friends, I don't know what that means, but I need help. But guess who knows? God knows what you need, even if you don't know what you need. So through all that hardship, there was one constant source and it was God and he would pull us out. And of course he doesn't take the burdens away. He just makes you strong enough to bear them. Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, we knew what we're supposed to be doing. We knew it was going to be painful, but we just knew there was a way through it. And we knew there was a purpose Mm -hmm. and that's what made it so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I've heard you talk about, um, what was it? I think it was on the, was it ritual podcast about nature versus nurture? You were talking about a boy. Could you tell the story about the five-year-old boy who kept going? And the question behind it was sort of, he was never taught to quit. Yeah. So do you, yes. Tell me, tell us about Jace. You guys, this kid was in kindergarten. Like that is the littlest and he wanted to spend, so our wingman, Casey, it was his neighbor and he just wanted to spend some time with the Iron Cowboy. And when he realized, you know, his dad was thinking, okay, a couple miles or something. But when Jace realized everybody else was still going, he's like, well, we're not done. And he kept going and going and going. And we had this route that was like one loop to the left, one route to the right, one loop to the left. It was like the same. And then you drop down to the finish line. So we're getting close to dropping the finish line and he is just in tears and he is just bawling. And here's the beautiful parenting moment. His dad did not pick him up. His dad did not say, you know, oh, this is too hard for you. It's not what he said. He kept saying, Jace, do you want to keep going or do you want to be done? And Jace just through tears. No, I want to keep going. So his dad is watching him suffer. But this is what that child wants. His dad does not sweep in like a helicopter dad and save him. He's not saying, but no, 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 you're in too much pain. This is too much. That is not what his dad did. His dad said, okay, let's do this together and held his hand and they finished. And I'm not kidding. It was miles that Jace is just bawling, finishing this run. I mean, five years old and he gets out 20 miles unexpectedly in these crappy worn out shoes, you know, that I look, I kept looking at him thinking, those are probably just a little bit too small, <laughs> you know, cause as a parent, the kids grow so fast. Yeah. You're like, Oh, well, I'll get him new shoes at Christmas or I'll get him new shoes when the school starts. Cause summer's coming, you know, or whatever, but it's not like he was in these comfortable, great shoes or anything. And he just cried and cried. And I would <sighs> sing to him and I would tell him jokes and his dad would, 
you know, was just right there with him, but his dad was bearing the journey with him. His dad was trying to lighten the load. And, you know, the way James describes it is he didn't know how to quit because everybody else kept going. And he's like, well, why would I stop if everybody else is still going? This isn't the end. And he gutted it out. I mean, it was a beautiful, unforgettable experience. Yeah, it's almost, it's, it almost makes me think of how many years of, depending on how old you are, of conditioning that we have in these thoughts from other people that are in our heads to, you know, quit or to stop, or it sort of just mixes in the whole soup of negative thinking and how much that gets in the way of our path. And so it's really cool to see that five-year-old. And and the path of least resistance, right? We're designed by our society to find the path with the least resistance, but that's not where the beauty lies. You have to hike into the mountains to see the beauty. You know, you can't just drive your car up and see what everybody else sees when they hike in. Mm. So, you know, seeking out exertion in our lives, taking effort. Something I think is really interesting is people. So people, James and I get a lot of people contacting us. Like, you know, we want to do this thing. What type of advice do you have? Different than that. Like, hey, I'm going to do this crazy thing and I'm going to do it tomorrow. And we're like, whoa, tomorrow. Mm. But the thing that's interesting about it is the majority of them want to do it in the most comfortable way. Or they want to do it in the way that um, they don't have to exercise discipline. And when you accomplish great things, they're not nearly as great if it doesn't take any discipline. Like if you just get up and run your 10 mile run and you come home and you get a massage for two hours and then you take a long shower, that's not the same as like, okay, I've got to make this fit. I've got to make this work in the schedule when I have all these other responsibilities. I mean, it's the discipline that's beautiful because if things are easy, they're not hard. You're not making a sacrifice. So when these people come to us and they tell us they want to do these things, they're trying to avoid any sacrifice. They're trying to avoid any discipline. It's like, well, I'm going to quit my job and do this. You know, I'm going to do one podcast a month, but I'm not going to work. I'm going to find sponsors to pay me. And I'm like, well, why can't you have a job and do a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. How come you're looking for free money? I'm like, sponsors from who? You don't even have a following yet. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you got to burn the candle from both ends until you make this work. And then you have the pride of having built up this thing through discipline. Yeah. And I, I talked to a lot of parents with teenagers and they're like, oh, my kid's got anxiety. And it turns out that the parent is wrapping them in bubble tape every day. You know, they're not doing anything hard. They're not exercising any discipline. They're not out of their comfort zone ever. And if they step outside that comfort zone, Unlike Jace's dad, they jump right in and save their child. And I'm like, well, do you know why I know your kid has anxiety? Because they've never accomplished anything. Mm-hmm. They've never had to work for it. So that's the beautiful thing about Jace is he didn't even know there was an option to quit. He just said through his tears, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to make, I don't care if this hurts. He'll never forget that for the rest of his life. Yeah. And it's like, what about people like me who have a multitude of things that they want to do and they maybe don't know how to hone it on one thing or just having discipline to do all the things. I find myself sort of trapped 
in this mentality every morning where I know I like running. I know I like doing this. I know I like doing the podcast. I should work on this. And it's like, it's almost like this never enoughness. And so sort of another question kind of being born off that is like, how do you accept where you're at, but also striving for more, especially if you have a ton of things that you would love to accomplish? Well, first of all, congratulations for having so many great ideas that you hope you live long enough to accomplish them. (laughs) I mean, most people are like, oh, I don't know what people say. Well, you know, I, I want things to be different. Oh, what do you want? Well, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how are you going to get it if you don't know what that is? So congratulations for one, for having these dreams and aspirations, because that's the first step. But second of all, how long do you plan to live? Who knows? I would hope for a hundred. Yeah. Life, life is a long time. Of course, some people aren't, but if you die young and you're fulfilled, it doesn't matter how old you are when you die. Right. Right. But you have a lot of life. So for instance, I waited to learn to golf because I figured that was a better sport when I was older. Mm. But I did triathlon when I was younger and endurance sports, right? So weighing out kind of with age and with life status, like we had kids young because I'm like, well, when you're young, you don't have any money, you don't have any time anyway. You have to work and you're in school you know, I want to have my kids young. So by the time they graduate high school, I'm only like 45, but by then you're more established in life and you have a little more flexibility. So evaluate your life and say, what best suits me today and what best suits me later? Like if you want to learn karate, well, you can learn that at any time, but starting a podcast, you kind of want to start it younger because you need the rhythm. You know, it takes time to make that build. So really weighing out in your mind, one, maybe what you want to do the very most, what excites you the most, and two, what kind of can get the ball rolling and give you a sense of success to create more successes. So it's like if you get all the little tiny chores done first, you're less overwhelmed because there's only one thing left on the to-do list. Or if you get the long one, then you're like, well, I still have 25 things to do. I don't feel any better. So kind of weighing in like, well, what's going to get my ball rolling? What's going to make me feel like I'm progressing and like I'm having success on this list that's going to motivate me to work for more? But taking into consideration your age and your socioeconomic status and your marital status and you know where you're living and taking into consideration all of those things and then kind of just prioritize them in order. But I'd say do the thing you want to do the most first, unless it takes other things to get there first. Mm. Yeah. So many things, but I, I just did this new process where I made like a list of 25 and then I picked the top five that I wanted to do. And then I, I like honed in one more time on maybe the top three and then. Was it harder or easier than you thought to do that? Mm, it was definitely harder. It was definitely harder. Like I said, my mind likes to be like, well, well, this, but if you do this, and and again, I always have to, for me, I have to always go to my heart because I could think of 10,000 reasons why to do karate right now, Mm -hmm. but, but it was hard for me. Um, because I, I, I love so much about life and that could be seen through so many things. And I have had quite a few experiences with running where I was like, Oh, or hiking and it's like, <gasps> and so 
I think my mind turns it into this like choice paralysis where it's like, do I want to hike today or do I run, want to run today? Okay, I'm going to run. And okay, do you want to run on the trail or do you want every day? That was me this morning. (laughs) It's every, I'm like, it's so beautiful outside. I'm like, okay, I should probably take the dog out on the trail. But if I go out on the trail, then it might get muddy because the snow's melting. And in the end, I completely changed my mind. And I'm like, I'll go rollerblading after this podcast. I did a bunch of indoor stuff and then I'll go rollerblading. You know what I mean? But that it's exactly yes. what I do every day. Yeah. But you can do good, better, best, right? This is good. This is better. But what's best? Mm. And, and think about it. Say, you know, like I want to get out in the sunshine, but right now in the morning, it's only 40 degrees. So the sunshine is going to be at noon. You know, it's like good, better, best. What's the order of good, better, and best? Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, I've also been taking a step back from the choice paralysis before it just starts in the morning because it starts every time Um, and just having like a little bit of a meditation or um, focusing on the breathing and then incorporating that into running, which is really cool. I've never actually quote unquote meditated while running because you would think your eyes are closed and you're sitting on a lotus flower floating, but um, when I focused on breathing while yeah. running, I, I took a long break from running and then went into, somebody asked me, oh, do you want to like run four or five miles today? And I was like, I used to run that much, <laughs> but I'll try. And I focused on my breathing and also because I'm highly competitive by nature, I was running with uh, my guy friend who in me, I'm like, I got to beat his ass. <laughs> I have to run faster than him. I have to not stop. He's not stopping. So I'm not going to stop. Yeah, I'm not making him wait for me. Right. And so it's incredible that, you know, like I hadn't run for a year before I just like pulled four or five out of my ass to run mm-hmm. <laughs> all because of up here. Yeah. And so... I really think that's what's important about both of your story is that it seems like there was a lot of checking in mentally and checking in with your heart at the same time. And I think that's so important. It's the only way to make it through this life. I mean, every morning I do 30 minutes of like energy work and meditation. And when I'm up on the trails in the mountains, separated from the world, I am going through emotions and I'm checking myself because if you don't, not only are you going to have these types of issues, but they're going to compound. So then all of a sudden you're making decisions based off of nonsense that you've locked in your subconscious. That's like not even who you are or the nature versus nurture. You know, you've been raised to believe certain things that aren't true. You know, that maybe, oh, you're the, you're the pretty daughter. She's the smart daughter. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, well, you're the one that always makes mistakes. And so you believe this crap and then you start to make decisions based off of that. And it's all just nonsense. So really checking in and, you know, people, people will say, oh, I don't have 30 minutes, but you have to remember, I've just barely started having 30 minutes like two weeks ago. (laughs) I mean, my life has been chaos for almost 41 years. You know, I've never had a place of solace. I've never had a, a little secret place to go and be alone. Like that all has just started for me, but I still did it. I found these places where I could go and just take five deep breaths or I, you know, I would journal, I'd write things down. And during the 50, I'd intended to journal, but it was total chaos. So it didn't work out. So during the hundred, I was like, nope, I'm making the time for it. And 
Sometimes it was emotional and other times it was just a punch list of what happened that day so that there was some form of documentation. But it was those experiences that you learn and grow so the next time you're better or the next um, you know, experience in your life you're better prepared for and you have some wisdom. But without a doubt, even if it is 10 deep breaths and that's all you have time for driving in your car, that will change you forever. So you have to be able to, to go inside or you're never going to know your purpose or know how to get there. Right. Right. Because then you're just running off of. Yeah. What society is telling you to do, right? They're saying, right. turn left, turn right. And you're like, I don't even know where I am. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I, and I going back to the whole 28, 29, I don't know what they call it. The, um, in astrology, Saturn return is supposed to supposedly like that time at 28 where you're just like, I think it's really just taking this, okay, society has told me to do this up until this point. And now it's clashing with how I'm feeling inside. And I really, so many times when someone comes to me and says they're depressed or they're anxious, a lot of the time it's, it's this, it's the misalignment. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, I'm, but I have to go to work and do it. And, and I have to be this person and I have to, and I think Jim Carrey says like depression is just withhold, upholding this mask that you aren't and how exhausting that is to like play a character every day. And it's not well, and, you. And depression's an emotion. There's nothing mm. wrong with feeling depressed. Right. Nothing wrong with it. It is incredibly normal. The yeah. problem is when it continues for extended amounts of time. And that's when you say, I got to do something. Like I was super depressed like two weeks ago. And I'm like, man, this is so weird. Like I've never experienced that depth of it. And so I say to myself, okay, I'm going to be super depressed today. It was a Sunday and I'm going to shut the world out. And then tomorrow I'm going to make some changes. And, you know, you have to make changes. And I'm not saying depression is a choice, but I believe that you have the choice to curb that depression. Mm. And to change yeah. You can't just sleep in until 11 every day and then watch TV and never leave your house. I mean, you have to get out. You have to get in the sunshine. And, you know, you can't just pop a pill. You right. have to change the patterns of your life or nothing's going to change. Right. But there's nothing wrong with feeling depressed. It's okay to feel depressed. Just right. don't drag it out for a long it time. It seems like there is this, this um, when an emotion like that comes that's so strong, there is a level of accepting and letting it be there, which is yes, totally just- different than feeding into it and sleeping until 11 yeah. and being like, okay, depression's here. I'm depressed. Like there is this balance again where it's, I'm not falling too far this way, but I'm also not suppressing it and ignoring it. Yes. It's- I'm not going to allow myself to go any further. Right? right. But putting on the mask. The other thing is too, is I think, you know, I don't, if I'm feeling blue or something like that, I don't like get on Instagram and be like, I'm just so depressed today. Yeah. At the same time, I'm not hiding it. I am literally processing the emotions. Yeah. It's none of anybody else's business. Right. 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 So, you know, once you come out of it and you're feeling better and you can talk about some of the strategies you've implemented that you found were helpful and useful, you know, that's how you empower the people. It's not by getting on social media and talking about how depressed you are and just living in that swamp. Right. Mm -hmm. It's 
seeking solutions and then working with other people. But like when I'm feeling disconnected, I don't want people to talk to me and cheer me up and give me a hug. I'm like, no, I want space. I want to process these emotions and I want to mull over them and figure out what they are and why I'm experiencing them. And that is not by having somebody to talk to or to touch me or to hug me. So I don't want to tell people when I'm feeling down because I don't want people reaching out to me. Well, it's sort of, left alone. <laughs> it seems like it's this innate response in nature. I mean, when an animal is going through like shedding or hibernation or whatever painful suffering process, you know, they know to go off alone, oh. isolate. Yeah. And we as humans turn into this bad negative thing. Like we have to be happy all the time. Like you don't want to talk about it. And during my experience of being really depressed, I remember being, I was an assistant teacher at a nine to five job and I worked in a um, special needs room. And so I was the youngest one of all these middle-aged women who, you know, just doing, they've done the same thing the rest of their lives forever and they're never going to move. And I was terribly depressed. Like I just wasn't, I was constantly thinking about like how I wanted to be in California or do all these creative things. And here I am in this spot, which is so far away from that. Where were you at? Um, I was living in Connecticut and yeah, I was just working at like an elementary school doing the same thing because society told me to do it. And it was the job I had had out of college. So it was the job I continued to do. And so I was there and I remember telling them how depressed I was and I wanted to sort of talk about, well, I couldn't hold it, but I wanted something more than the answer. Oh, you got to go see a doctor. Oh, like my sister, one woman goes, my sister died two weeks ago and I was really depressed. So I just went to the doctor and I took a pill. And I'm like, that's a natural like reaction to somebody dying. And I was getting sad when someone died. Yeah, we need to see a doctor. And I was like, I felt so much more alone because they're like, you need to go like get help. Like this isn't normal. And it's like, what is normal anyways? It's normal to have, it's normal to have, to have the feelings. And so, yeah. Don't you feel like it taught you some empathy too? Yeah. Because you know, like when you feel that, when you say to yourself, well, if this is how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life, why would I want to wake up tomorrow morning? Right. And so when somebody takes their own life, all of a sudden there's some compassion and you go, I get why they felt that way because they felt like the way I'm feeling today has been going on for so long. I don't have any hope that I'm ever going to feel better. Yeah. And so they're like, I'm just going to end it. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can, empathetically understand why somebody feels that way. The unfortunate part is, is that it doesn't mean it's going to last forever. And we all wish so desperately we could have helped them understand there was a different path for them. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if they've been on that path for so long and they found and found no way out, of course they felt like that. Right. So I felt like it taught me a lot of empathy to know what that feels like and to not simplify it and say, I just go for a walk. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it is kind of that simple, like get outside, go for a walk, see people be a part of society, but it's not that simplistic. Right. And I know that part of the physiological response to James recovering, um, there was a physical like panic attacks and depression. And so as his partner, how do you, how did you 
uh, support him as a partner going through that and somebody else, you know. Let me explain it. Is, is during the 50 and leading up to the 50, you know, it was quite an exciting journey to get there. Um, I, I worked with my emotions along the way, but there was a certain extent I couldn't go past until I was ready and I wasn't ready. And so when James went through these really hard things, I still wasn't ready. I needed to support him through his stuff because there's nothing worse than saying, oh, you think you're depressed? You have no idea about my life, right? That was me in the beginning of my relationship. (laughs) That's society. They're just like, oh, you think your life is hard? Let me tell you why mine is harder. You're like, that's not what we're looking for here. So for me, it was really important to make sure I never did that to James. Even though our suffering was the same on different calibers, you know, or in different experiences, the suffering was the same. I made sure that I stayed in my lane. And I kept my emotions in check so that I could emotionally be there to support him. And then like after the 50, it took me like two years to recover emotionally, but it didn't matter because it didn't matter that I had waited to deal with those emotions because I did deal with them. Mm, So sometimes we have to wait to deal with them until the time is appropriate or until we're ready. Where, you know, it took me a long time, but with 100, I was like, I don't want to take two years. That is way too long. So I was a little more careful along the way. And then afterwards, I had, I knew James would take time to recover, but, and I mean, he thought he wouldn't. He'd be like, oh, I'll be fine the next day. I'm like, okay, I know better than this. You might not remember all these other experiences, but I remember them. So I knew it was going to take some time to help him recover, but I did not expect that psychological recovery. I mean, it wasn't like that after the 50. He didn't have that type of psychological trauma. This time it was bad. So I had to keep myself in check until, um, you know, I did a little bit. I had to wait till September. We finished June 9th and I had tons of kids stuff and family stuff all the way through till September. So I was like, when the kids go back to school, then I will take my time to heal. And I worked on a little bit, but then James was such a mess that I was like, it's not time. And we were heading into the holidays, which is a big time of year for moms, you know? So I was like, I'll just wait. It's not my turn yet to really delve into my healing. I need to be the supporting cast still. So I helped take care of James. And then when James was well, the roles reversed. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a mess. I got to figure this stuff out. And James is like, how can I help you? Mm. So I have a little bit of a, a problem with people that say, take care of yourself first and then take care of others. Because if I was on an airplane, there's no way I would put my oxygen mask on first. No way. I would 100% make sure that all five of my children had their oxygen masks on before I even considered putting mine on. There's no way. I don't care. And if it meant me dying, it wouldn't matter. So I don't have that whole selfish mentality to take care of myself. I'm not saying that's selfish, but people like to say be selfish, which I hate. Mm -hmm. And I don't have that mentality of take care of myself first. I don't think that's always the right answer. In my case, it's always been be the supporting cast first, then make time for yourself and heal. And it has worked out beautifully every time. So So now I had support from James because he was well, right? So now that I'm going through my healing, he is 100% totally right there for me, which he wouldn't have been if we tried to do it together at the same time. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it is nice to sort of seesaw back and forth. Absolutely. You know? It's never 
No. 70, 30, 60, 40, 90, 10. I mean, during the 100, it was not 50, 50. It was like James was taking 110% and I was in the negative. Right. But now, right, a year later, I'm like, I need, and he's like, whatever you need, babe. Like, I'm totally here for you. Let me help you. And a lot more physical affection, like really being there for me. And I'm like, he couldn't have done that if I hadn't have helped him heal first. Right. right. And also if you didn't believe and trust and have all of these qualities about the relationship and what he was doing, anybody would have been like, this is too hard. I'm out totally. of here. Like totally. you trusted and knew that what he was doing was meant for him. And regardless of whatever came out of his mouth while he was going through pain and suffering, it's sort of like you put your stuff to the side totally. to, to allow him to go through his process. And that is so important as a partner. A lot of the times we want to dip out so fast. And, and you know, granted, if you're in like a, you know, bad relationship, yeah, you we're know talking it. generally speaking, not but like abusive right. relationships. <laughs> right, right. In a, yeah. in, a, in a beautiful, growing, you know, relationship together as two human beings who are having- Givers and takers, right? right? Both givers, both takers. Right. And that See? takes nurturing because like I by nature am more of a giver and he by nature is more of a taker. And just because he's so playful, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like where I'm like, how can I heal the world? You know, <laughs> like our personalities are just so different. But in 21 years of marriage, we have brought each other to the middle, mm. which is interesting because now James's whole passion and drive is about empowering and helping other people, which I would have never thought 15 years ago, right? Yeah. So we have totally come to the middle and, and seesawing back and forth of what each other needs in what format and in what form. And it has been a very beautiful journey. And, you know, that hardship either destroys a marriage or it brings you together. And that's a choice. And James and I have chosen to have that bring us together. Wow. See, in everything, in everything is balance. Everything, it shows itself in everything. In a relationship with two people, in life, throughout your own one life, there's this, ba- everything. It's like the same theme coming up all the time. Balance. Well, and who has control over your balance? Only right. you. Exactly. Only exactly. Ah, so exciting. All right. Well, this was a beautiful conversation. I, I want to know what's next for you guys. James is speaking. You know, that's his job, his career. He's been doing that for about 10 years, 12 years, um, all over the world. But now I've been speaking because everybody sees this and they say, who is this woman? (laughs) You know? So I've been doing a bunch of speaking and traveling. um, And I I really believe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So we'll see where that path takes me. But really, I'm determined to become the world's greatest female speaker. You know, (sighs) I just want to cheer and empower (laughs) and connect with people and just give them reason and hope to get up every day and to share their sparkles with the world. And, you know, as soon as I, I really felt like that's what God was telling me to do. And I said, you know, I waited a little bit because my son's still my youngest, he's only 12, but I said, well, I'm going to start kind of building a little bit at a time. So when it's time, the kindling's in the fire and I can just light the match so this past couple months, I'm like, I think it's time. I'm just going to open my channels and say, I mean, there's nothing on the docket per se, you know, podcasting things, but not speaking like crazy or whatever. And I said, I'm just going to open my channels. And when it's right, I'll be right. And then boom, it's like tons of speaking things that come yeah. up. And so 
I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that's, that's the plan. You know, James is still racing and doing things like that. Um, but really, I don't know, it's kind of beautiful. You know, I've, my kids are older now and I can kind of head in the next stage of my life and do what is for the second half of my life waiting for me. Amazing. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Sunny Joe Lawrence on Instagram and Facebook. That's where I, I found uh, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm weak sauce when it comes to social media, but I really <laughs> try. And right now I'm posting the recaps from last year. So I did a closet talk every night and then I am reposting those every day. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on my show, for being on the Healing House podcast. Absolutely and loved it. Yay. And I hope that you both continue to do what you're doing because you're doing the right thing and you're on the right path. And I hope that it inspired others to do the same. Thank you. And you know what? Best wishes to you. Ah, thank you. Go get it, man. You have nothing. <laughs> I'm gonna go for a run right now. <laughs> You grab whatever it is you want your life to look by and you grab it. You just grab whatever you want it is you is and you make it happen. I will. You have a beautiful life waiting for you. You're a beautiful, kind person. You have great energy. I am wishing you the very best. Thank you so much, Sunny. It was so nice meeting you. Likewise. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya.